mastered economics, cause you took yourself from squalor. Slay. Mastered academics, cause your grace said you were scholar. Slay. Mastered Instagram, cause you can instigate a follow. Shit. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Yeah. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Welcome to Liberty Southwest Podcast number 65. On this one, we have Matt Winterer, Danny Ng, and myself, Eric Taylor. How's it going, Danny? I'm doing good. How are yourself? Good. It's been a while since the three of us have gotten together for a podcast, so, so that's good. And I think we have some good things to talk about. Um, how's it going over there, Matt? Uh, going wonderful, and one of my one of my long time favorites, the musical industry, has betrayed my trust in him by backing some activism I just can't get behind. So I introduce this um, Tom Morello, mm-hmm. Rage Against the Machine Rage guitarist. Machine. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And he he has what he is doing now. Uh, he's reading this book, and it's on uh, YouTube right now. Uh, search for it. Tom Morello reads. The name of the book is A is for Activist. And this is a book written by someone named Inosanto Agara, and it's interesting um Mm. why don't you start uh start the clip here and when uh when we get to like e or c let's uh let's talk for a second okay see what you guys think all right i'll roll the clip we're starting at 25 seconds into this so it's tom morello reads a is for activist the board Book for Children of the 99% by Inosanto Nagara. So we're starting at 25. You can find this on YouTube. Here we go. A is for activist, advocate, abolitionist, ally, actively answering a call to action. Are you an activist? B. B is for banner, bobbing in the sky. Billowing in the breeze, cause you're not shy. C. C is for co-op, cooperating cultures, creative counter to corporate vultures. Oh, and cats. Can you find the cats? So what do you think? What what did you see here, Matt? Um, what's not to see the, uh, the book is absolutely a method for setting kids up for doctrination. I have to 
say full disclosure, I heard this first on No Agenda, mm-hmm. and it it floored me as I was hearing it, and it, it I I hope it's shocking to you guys yep. as well. And this is what they re- he read to what like first graders or kindergartens, preschool, or just do, do so, you know like? Yes. Yeah. He, I mean, regardless, like yeah, it, huh? Interesting. Go ahead. He begins the video talking about how he reads this to his children whenever he can. Now, from what my understanding is, this book is now part of the standard reading curriculum the state of Washington which makes this pretty subversive let's uh let's listen a little bit more yeah one of the things I noticed when just looking at the notes on the YouTube video so this is this it says December 12th 2014 I think is the published date um so it's been around for a while I was just kind of curious how this came up on no agenda. Was it something that a, a listener suggested or something that uh, John or Adam found or what What happened there? No, I believe that he just read this book. Like, oh, he did? Just did the YouTube video. Oh, it's weird because I'm... Oh, wait. Yeah. I wonder why, why they did bring it up. I bet, it, bet it's because... That, Okay, I was taking a shower while I was listening to this part. <laughs> yeah. It must be that now it's part of the standard curriculum Makes in Washington sense. State. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will continue and just let me know when you want me to pause this and we'll go from there. Sure. D. Little D. Democracy. More than voting, you'll agree. Dictators detest it donkeys don't get it but you and me we demand equality e equal rights black brown or white clean and healthy is a right every place we live and play environmental justice is the way (laughs) f yeah so it's Kind of progressive doctrine in a way, right? Well, it's absolutely, yeah, absolutely progressive doctrine. Yeah, and it to me it makes sense uh, that it's kind of well. First of all, I, I don't, I don't know if they said what grade level this is associated with or anything along those lines, um, but uh, to me it would be maybe something within social studies and and you see like this type of material what middle school junior high wouldn't that be relatively does it sound like that would be in the ballpark for this book no i'd say this is early elementary right oh is it okay i'm just not that advanced yeah i would think so okay this would be like kindergarten. <laughs> I hope you yeah, weren't reading going... books like this when you were in <laughs> middle school, Eric. Whoa. Well, maybe I was. <laughs> we, all, we all advance at our own rate. <laughs> That's right. Well, the question is, like, like if I was in preschool, and I don't know, like, we're, we're, I think we're all concerned millennials now, but, mm. like, 
um, man, like, you know, if I was in preschool and kindergarten, I don't think I'd I even know what the word activist is back then. So, like, teaching them, like, do we expect kids to know what all these words are now, are then, like, are now? I don't, I don't know. Like, you're learning ABCs, but now, and then you're, ta- you're talking about activists and equality. Like, do kids even understand this stuff, like, at that age? I don't know. Uh- Oh, just <laughs> it's just kind of a little. I don't think so. so I, yeah, so I don't know if this is. Yeah, like it's just, just like they're trying to indoctrinate our yeah. kids now with with the stuff. So that that's I don't know, but yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked that you know this is like you're t- teaching kids ABCs and then we have a children book written like this that has all these words that like back when I was a kid like, I wouldn't I, I don't even know what any, what any of those words mean so. Um, Anyways, just kind of, yeah, a little shocking to me. Yeah, definitely indoctrination. Uh, should I continue to play this for a while longer, Matt? Uh, no, I mean, we, we're we kind of, if we keep playing it, it's just going to be more and more eye-rolling. Okay, okay. It's, it's like this all the way through. I want to. I'll play for another half a minute. I want. I want to experience one or two more eye rolls, and then we'll it, we'll move forward. Jay is pretty be great yeah jay f is for feminist for fairness in our pay for freedom (laughs) to flourish and choose our own way g g is for grassroots sprouting from below sharing nutrients and the waters flow below the surface we're all connected stronger together we grow H. H is for healthy food. A human right. Honeydew. Jicama. Nature's delight. Hummus. Hot dog. Just pause it real quick. Hot. (laughs) Yeah. Just real quick. Again, from No Agenda, I remember this. Okay. Jicama isn't spelled with an H. It's spelled with a J. Oh, yeah. I wonder why did they why did they do that? That was just a complete miss on the uh, on his part, right? The author, yeah. <laughs> and Asanto and Asanto didn't uh, didn't follow through with the dictionary first. <laughs> I don't know. As they were uh, fact checking, watching this, yeah, it's honeydew, jicama, nature's delight, but the only catch is jicama. Is spelled with a J. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cruise to J and, and then and wrap it. What is this? Like, yes. How does kid like healthy do hot kids dogs, even know please. what a hickama is? Like <laughs> and pizza. Honestly, I, what the hell? Like, I, come on, man. Indigenous what? and immigrant. Together we stand tall. Our histories are relevant. An injury to one is an injury to all. J. J is for justice. Yay for justice. Ja Jing Jung. Juanita. Jamal. Justice for the janitors. Justicia for all. This, this looks strikingly like a, almost a, some communist symbolism, at least in the slide associated with what he's reading here. Yeah. That page. Yeah, with Chinese characters on there. Oh, you're you're looking at it as well. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny that like you know I'm trying to remember back into E they talk about equality for uh, blacks, brown, and whites, but they didn't talk about yellow, which I always consider myself. You know, with you know Asians and Chinese, you know mm-hmm. we often call consider ourselves yellow so yep. it's funny how they didn't really put that into perspective why don't you why don't why didn't you hear more about that i mean you really in the context of rights in a you know oh I, i'm gonna cut down on saying you know as much as i can in the in the uh you know in the turn in the context of rights why isn't there more um focus put on asians Especially, I mean, you'd think there would be more because of some of the discrimination that's happened specifically this year, right? Because of COVID. Right. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I always think that, you know, we don't we're, we don't get a lot of attention because we're the minority. Like, our voice, even if we yell loud, it's... It, you know, it's not as loud as like blacks and Latinos. So maybe that's why um, they don't put as much emphasis on Asians. That's the only thing I can think of right now on why, you know, you don't ever hear anything about from us. I don't know. It could be that, you know, we typically keep our mouths quiet as well. And, you know, we just kind of, you know, put our heads down and just work and then do our own thing. Um, you know, we're, you know, we have our own communities and all that, but uh, don't we, we don't open our mouths as loud as you know, you know, other people of color. It could be that that could be the reason why. So, um, and that's that's probably why you don't hear a, a, a lot about like Asians in in like you know CNN or any of the mainstream media. I have a friend named Andy. Andy is. Korean and we were standing in a circle one of my old bosses made this racist remark that he realized this racist like right after he said it and recanted and then he said yeah well you know we're all we're all the same <laughs> and Andy says what are you what are you talking about like I'm Asian and he same exact same managers like well yeah but that's the same thing (laughs) (laughs) well he knew he was wrong right so he was just trying to backtrack essentially right yeah right 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 sure yeah (laughs) makes two gaps in a row yeah i know how you feel (laughs) yeah exactly one of the one of the thoughts on kind of um, when talking about Asians as far as equality, diversity, and that type of thing that popped up in my mind, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, um, Danny, is that Asians generally, from my experience, work pretty hard and don't not many languish in squalor. They just will take whatever job and eventually rise up to pretty high a mid or high level and wherever they're at. So they don't have, they don't have the same issues as some of the other uh, minorities. Does that sound like that's also part of it? 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we just kind of mind our own business. Um, I know plenty of Asians um, that have, you know, started careers as um, just kind of, you know, in low-paying jobs. And even, like, when they, you know, I know a few Asians that have worked in, you know, corporate jobs like what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, they don't get paid that well as much as, like, other people, like, myself included i know how much i should be paid but i know that you know with my job i'm underpaid oh are you um, but you you know yeah, that you're I'm, underpaid for doing the oh, same absolutely. work as a caucasian peer for example yeah. oh absolutely so absolutely. how does that even fly um, have you brought this up at all or do you just kind of I accept mean, that's like, what it I is we're just a lot like I'm content myself. Like it, it's it's low, but it, it's still within the ballpark. But yeah, it's definitely you know below in the bell curve. Um, you know, maybe below by like five ten percent. Um, but like it. But at the same time, you know, we're we're just content people, and I feel like we're just we don't need to make that big of an issue of things. And you know, like money is not a whole. You know, at least for me, like money doesn't equal happiness you know, as long as you know we have a job and we do like meaningful work and you know we can always you know, find another job and just kind of move up that way um i don't know i, I just seem i you know we we don't like go out in public and just you know express our feelings all the time a lot you know but like we might do it amongst ourselves as groups but we don't like we don't like to make a scene at least like within my circle and based on my observations we don't like to make a scene of things so maybe because of that we don't shout we don't you know do anything extravagant like that and that's why you know we don't get a whole lot of um coverage in anywhere so Makes sense. And, yeah and then like you know we don't open our mouths and then like that's probably why i'm getting underpaid with my job so that could be another reason why so but you know yeah it's what it is. Part of our personalities, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, because if I was in a similar situation and I was aware of pay disparity, you know, or come review time or even before, I would. I mean, it's hard to say to say you're a no, you're aware of a disparity to a superior, right? And say, you know, can we equal this out? But for me. It would be somewhat, you know, or top of mind from time to time, but it makes sense where it is kind of a political thing in the workplace where is it really worth bringing that up in conversation? Like you said, you're, you're already in a pretty good position <laughs> and it's kind of splitting hairs yeah. so being divisive about something like that and the, to me it sounds like it's a calculated assessment right do i right and, and yeah and for me the, the thing is the sad thing is i did bring it up and um you know they did boost it up but it's still below like the average so that's the sad part so um, so at that point, it's like I make I have to make a decision. Okay, do I go with it? Am I so happy with this with, with where I'm at? Like right now, I am. So it's like okay, like you know, if I'm a little underpaid, like um, you know, I'm still you know fine with where I'm at. Then okay, kind of give and take type of thing. So, um, but yeah, it is kind of sad that like um, you know, like, even when I have to fight for it, 
that I have to fight for, like someone put put some effort just to move up a little bit, but still, you know, they can't do anything more than um, you know what what was given to me. Um, so, yeah, like it, it is what it is, I guess. So um, I don't know. We'll have another discussion um, by the end of the year. So about my pay. So anyway. Yeah, and to kind of further that in any organization, especially if it's understood by staff who who are underpaid and um, they put in just as much or more effort, I would have to think, you know, or a good leader, manager, director, whatever, VP would want a, a well-performing employee to be happy and feel like they're paid equally, right? So to me, it's interesting where you bring it up. You know you're underpaid. Your superior knows you're underpaid, but yet there's no action taken. Yep. It's just this corporate mindset, I guess. So yeah. I don't know. Like, how far do I want to push it? And, you know, there's always that question. I, you know, do I want to push it further or, you know, or am I, or am I content with where I'm at? So, um, yeah, that's so it's always like a balancing act. Yeah. I don't know if you were aware of that, Matt. I personally, from an Asian perspective, my assumption was always that, you know, or in the workplace, compensation is fairly equal. Um, but obviously, that's not the case. And um, that's unfortunate. I actually assumed that uh, most most Asians made more. I did too, actually. <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's surprising and uh, yeah when you I suppose have you had these conversations with friends and family and they all have like you said before don't want to raise much of a issue uh, do they feel slighted in any way like they want to do anything maybe slowly or is it not a topic of conversation too often uh, you know, I don't really, I mean, I don't really talk a lot about these. I just yeah. know that they um, kind of have like the same film, uh, similar uh, situations as as I am facing. So, um, but yeah, we don't really talk too much about that. But um, yeah, we just kind of, it is what it is. I mean, like if we want to move and jump to a different company, you know, uh, we typically believe, you know, wholeheartedly ourselves that, you know, we can, you know, do so um, and get, you know, better salary and better job or whatnot. So um, it's not a real big, you know, it's, yeah, it's not a big topic that, you know, uh, we we ever, we talk about too much. So, right. Thanks for sharing that wasn't really wasn't aware of that neither of us were and that's that's unfortunate yeah. and mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah thanks for sharing personally haven't yeah. 
seen that too much or been aware of yeah. it. So, and and I'm sure there's Asian other Asians that you know get do get compensated more than um, you know on average. You know, it's different by everyone standards. Um, maybe it's just my circle, but uh, but just look at like the you know the Forbes billionaires. Like, how many can you? How many Asians can you? Uh, point there that are you know the top of the list so um that itself kind of kind of show you know that um, i don't know if there's more blacks billionaires and asian billionaires i feel like there's that's the case but i don't know maybe that's something i'll have to take a look at another time so yeah that would be interesting because i you know uh, go ahead we should we should talk about it another time for sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep definitely Mm -hmm. So moving on from that, did you, Matt, or Danny, did you have any, any before we kind of moved, moved through what we have set up, did you have any uh, current thoughts um, that yeah, you'd like to throw out there uh, since the last time we were on a podcast together? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I just kind of laid it out there from what I thought <clears throat> with this abc stories so mm-hmm. um yeah why don't you continue and yeah i can share more as we go along okay so i think um i think based on the conversation that we just had let's skip down one and maybe okay. we'll come back to the second okay um I'll, I'll set this up here uh within the u.s government there's these uh, contractors uh-huh. who have been hired as race theory professionals, okay. critical race theory professionals. And since they're contractors, they don't really have to follow any of the rules that go along with being an employee in a government organization where you know, they can come and leave, they can get Fired for one reason, somebody else to replace them. It's kind of how the whole, whole contracting thing goes. But within the actual government agencies, um, including the military uh, branches, have been infiltrated by these uh, race theory folks. And they're using it as reasons to get rid of people who have been in public service for Decades and decades. So, um, let's drop the uh, drop the audio. And okay. Talk some more. All right. I will play the clip. Here we go. I've kind of understood that at the very, very tip of the iceberg minimum, uh, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars per year, and these are really coming in a couple different forms. Uh, one form is that federal agencies are hiring outside consultants to serve as as contractors or diversity consultants or or kind of uh, lecturers within the departments. That's one large source of funding. Another is organizations like the National Science Foundation uh, and the Humanities Foundation, et cetera, et cetera, are are issuing grants to academics and other institutions uh, to create the kind of research base to support this. And third, uh, something that I've heard uh, a lot of kind of frightening uh, reports on you have now kind of diversity offices within the federal government that are direct employees uh, that in some cases, uh, my sources tell me, function as almost internal intelligence services with a mission to kind of detect white supremacy, 
to detect unconscious bias, uh, to detect uh, whatever the flavor of the day is that's, that they deem as bad, uh, to root it out, uh, and then to enforce this kind of ideology uh, within the institutions. And, you know, I've had kind of dozens of heartbreaking emails from people who said, I got into public service 10, 20, 25 years ago uh, because I really wanted to make a difference in the government, make a difference in my community. And now I feel like I'm being uh, essentially um, kind of uh, purged from the institution for my beliefs. I can't speak out out of fear of retaliation. Uh, and I'm at my wit's end. What can you do to help? It's interesting. And this was uh, this was this also discussed or discussed on a recent no agenda. Yes. Yep. There's a. I'll just warn you. Like my next three clips are all from no agenda. Okay. So, yep. Inclu- oh wait, including this one. So. Yes. So, yeah. um, they're doing some good stuff as of late. I think they're on a pretty good, pretty good role. Uh, anyone listening has not tuned, or I guess it's not tuned in, but uh, listen to any of the No Agenda podcasts. They do an excellent job of deconstructing the news and really uh, giving some good insight on really what's going on behind the scenes and why the news is the way it is. And they've, I think they've been at their, at their very best over the, this COVID Corona period, uh, for sure. Yep. So the critical race theory portion of what they're talking about and how there's people within these institutions who are afraid to dissent at all or have any other opinion because they're going to get axed. It's literally 1984-style treatment to people uh, within our government agencies. That's literally what 1984 was warning against, and I'm very concerned about it. I'm kind of surprised that um, under the the current administration that this type of activity would be allowed. It just seems like it wouldn't be, doesn't it? Well, does the president micromanage down to that level where he looks for things like this to go after? I don't I, think that's... You know, politically, something that's common to go after. You know, especially during, you know, like an election year. I know a lot of this was going on during Obama's administration when they're purging people like crazy. Actually, I see that this general initiative was uh, implemented, codified August twenty third, two thousand eleven. So it seems to be exactly that. And I know that to a certain extent, I there's government's so big, so it's really hard to to know things that have been eradicated or changed by Trump. But I believe there are similar in, initiatives or agendas that Obama has put forth that have been 
either completely dismantled or pushed back against by Trump. And this seems to me like something that just, if he, if he was aware that administration wouldn't allow, it must be, maybe it's easier said than done. I'm not, I'm not sure. Certainly a possibility. Uh, by the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution, the laws of the United States of America, in order to promote the federal workplace as a model of equal opportunity, diversity, and inclusion, it is hereby ordered as follows. Our nation derives strength from the diversity of its population, from its commitment to equal opportunity for all. We are at our best when we draw on the talents of all parts of our society and our greatest accomplishments are achieved when diverse perspectives brought to bear to overcome our greatest challenges. So the wording, you know, again, I don't want to say, you know, so much the wording uh, seems beneficial, doesn't it? It's kind of the affirmative action aspect, right? Where you push good workers out of government to be replaced by more diverse workers. And the question being, do they have as good or better of a skill set? Is that kind of where uh, you're, you're coming from? That's kind of what attracted to uh, attracted you to what they were t- talking about on no agenda. Well, I, I think it just goes completely against non-aggression principle to mm-hmm. do anything like this yeah i think it's free association the government shouldn't be anything different i think a lot of the time what happens within government organizations spreads to others and if this is the direction that we're going right now then we we're uh we're, we're in trouble and we can't we can't have people telling on each other and afraid to speak out because of retaliation. It's the opposite of what we want in a free and open society. But uh, don't you feel like this is already the way we're headed anyways? Like, like whenever you go out and speak to your coworkers or anyone else, like strangers, like, do you now have to feel that you have to like, you can't talk freely anymore. You have to like be very mindful of the words that you're using so that you don't get judged accordingly. Like, do you feel like, like that um, these days? And we're not just, I'm not just talking about a government setting. Like, you know, I'm talking about just like, outside in general like outside of the government like i i definitely feel that way right now so i don't know about you guys but um yeah but for I, me it's like i constantly have to like you know think about the words what i say um who do i say it to and you know what what dictionary there's like a list of dictionary out there of words that you're you're not supposed to say um which is like uh, I don't know, like like apparently the word ninja can uh, can offend someone, or like a guru word guru can offend someone. Um, so I don't know. I feel like you know we're in that type of culture uh, of um, 
you know, what we say, what we do, the speech that we have is going to offend anyone. And then there's going to be some retaliation. I know it's a little bit off topic from, from, you know, the clip, but, uh, no, I think it's right on Ninja and guru though. You would, you'd be fired in a day in a IT job. That's, uh, it's used in marketing everywhere. That's, People call each other ninjas and gurus all the time. It just it's dropped constantly. Yeah, and I think if I'm kind of following what you're saying, Danny, I think it's the erosion of free speech that you're referencing, the erosion of free will uh, within the workplace and society in general because of both official restriction and unofficial restriction. Like, I certainly, outside of uh, circle of friends or, or, or family, I, I don't speak as openly as I used to, you know, in the workplace or, or around, you know, uh, acquaintances or, or strangers. That That certainly has changed for me. I used to be a little bit more just open and would just say what was on my mind. And I think that's certainly changed. And there's kind of the PC police, and this is a pretty good example. So that's what I was kind of referencing where I, I didn't think it was too much off the, the uh, diversity offices idea at, at all, uh, because diversity in, in this context is what some, is what one person or one uh, group of elites decides it is it's it's not what other people decide and that's and that's where issues of kind of closing up come to the front right does that is that somewhat what you were what you were talking about yeah absolutely I think in general, putting words into a box that are out of, like you, a do not say box, that's um, limiting to free thought and ideas. It, I'm yeah. not going to run around using slurs anywhere, you know, not in public, notwithstanding being among strangers, but some of the words that are in that uh, do not say list, you know, even just talking about swear words, swear words in general can provide quite a bit of emphasis to your conversational speech Mm -hmm. and not having those as words that you can say in front of children in front of coworkers, in some cases, that's it's limiting your ability to express yourself in a compelling way in as short amount of time as possible. Because I could take ten minutes and sit down and explain to you what my issue is and what I'm going through only to be able to convey the same message and saying, you know, this fucking sucks. Like, that's done. It's three words. 
And you get what I'm saying already. I don't have to tell you a story. And I can't say this is bad. It makes me angry. Like that doesn't convey the same message with mm-hmm. the same intensity, with the same, you know, veracity. Yeah, to me, it's kind of a continuation of really progressive and libertarian conservative views on things. Um, And it's when you get in this area, it's very politically motivated because on the on the left, people who feel put down by slurs or the ability to advance. certainly kind of blend everything together and it's sometimes it's it's difficult to separate the two um because one of the things that i think is important and is kind of um to a certain extent illustrated in this executive order which you're referencing in the clip is some you know there are people who are discriminated against and um, there is such thing, such a thing as white privilege. And there are issues um, within both the government, like it's being referenced here and corporate environments where sometimes the best person doesn't always get the job. And so it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's so tough because you throw human nature into it. But even with all of that, it seems to me you kind of have the natural push and pull of over-the-top initiatives like we're talking about in, in this uh, initiative and you know, or conservative libertarians pushing back and saying, well, it doesn't need to go this far. But in that process sausage is made real quantifiable progress where it's there's that tension because there is there is a need i think for some people to level the playing field but there is also the need on the other side to not be ground into the playing field if that makes sense so it's like this this dance and in this specifically in the United States, things get better incrementally and there's fights fought over how how this actually works. But if you look at the current situation versus situations before any of us were born for a lot of minorities and, you know, oppressed genders, things have gotten markedly better because of legislation or acts like this wouldn't you think wouldn't you say that's a fair statement matt even even if some of it's frustrating on the on the face of how it's codified yeah it's a fair shakedown the in especially now this world where remote working is going to become more common than ever Mm mm-hmm the skin that you're in should matter very little right. to the roles and jobs that you can get. Right. 
And there is definitely truth in that in diversity, you get better ideas because yep. you have people coming from different backgrounds and understandings. You'll get better ideas. So if you're smart and you're running a business, you're going to put a diversity of uh, talent around you to get that feedback that's valuable. Right. But I, I would say if I was running a business, I would not be um, – I would not be nearly as concerned in running a remote company about what somebody looked like or where they came from uh, now more than ever. Mm -hmm. so. But equally, kind of going on our you know, the, the persuasion of uh, people who are, are in our group, the, the view is that if you're dumb enough not to see that diversity doesn't help you and a, a player fair a, a fair playing field doesn't engender um, cultural benefits and boosts in morale uh, does it really matter if you're if under that culture that you have to be mandated to change your behavior by some type of a order is that aren't you already behind you know somewhat behind the eight ball if you if you need to be right, told right 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 that's a really good point yeah what you're saying is absolutely a good point you're you're already behind the eight ball if that's what you need to be told and yeah. and in uh specifically talking about it in the context of government organizations that should be recognized much more readily than it would be recognized anywhere else anyway, because government jobs tend to attract a very diverse background of people. So ordering something like this where you have, I really liked where they said internal intelligence agencies within these agencies that, uh, that really drives home to me. The, 1984, you can't say anything. If somebody's mm -hmm. in this meeting, they might be part of this group that will that will come back and report on anything that I say to one of these cops that's running around inside the organization, and it's going to get me fired. Mm -hmm. And an alternate thought I have on that is, is it possible that some of these intelligence agencies are so stock full of old school white male leadership that that are tenured or locked into long term pension plans that somebody took a look at that and you know, thought, let's bust this situation up a little bit because in government, things are so bureaucratic and people get so entrenched in positions of leadership that it's hard to even get them out until they... Yeah, yeah, but that's not that's not fair because yeah. that doesn't happen in the private sector. Right, right. So that, I mean, that, it shouldn't transition that way. Right, and I was just basically playing devil's advocate to this 
to this order because it does happen in government. I'm, I, I have friends that are there, and, and the, the people that are allowed, I mean, they just are locked in their job, and they're not fireable. And acidic cultures can, you know, can take place. And I have no idea what intelligence agencies or what it's like there, but I'm just kind of thinking through the logic as to why something like this would even be put out there. But um, yeah, we, we've kind of discussed it in, in enough, in enough depth, I think. Um, do we want to, do you want to, there's something really that I wanted to talk about tonight. Let's do it. We're trying to stick to a timeline. Yep. We got about um, another fifteen minutes. So this one here also comes from No Agenda, and this is uh, the United Nations put this out, and the United Nations is literally exploiting the pandemic in order to push forward a new world order and a new. Uh, just play it. Just play it. You're gonna. You're gonna freaking be curious by the end of this is this the patriotic education clip is that you're referring to underneath that one from the un pandemic exploitation oh i may it's called the pandemic Uh, let me look is a portal by look oh there it is I, i may have not gotten that here we go Whatever it is, coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. The rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. (laughs) Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our databanks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it I have some gummy bears and pop a couple of those and then listen to that. That would have been like really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, a thought for me came came to mind. You never let a serious crisis go to waste. You always have to take advantage of it, right? Oh my God. This is, I mean, when are we getting rid of the UN? Like this, 
can't happen soon enough. It's, it's ridiculous that they literally say at the end of clip that they're going to do a new world order. And that's what they want coming out of COVID. That's their idea of what the future is going to be post-COVID, and they're going to do their damnedest to make it happen. Here's just a little gem, and I'm sure you guys have heard this. Danny, maybe not if you haven't been listening to No Agenda, but just a clip off of a, a blurb off of a Wikipedia article on Building Back Better is a program that was officially used in the United Nations Sunday Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction document, which was agreed on at the third UN World Conference on Disaster Risk Reduction held on March 14th to 18th, 2015 in Sendai, Japan. The UN General Assembly adopted this document on June 3rd, 2015. And guess whose campaign slogan has taken that on? <laughs> I yep. was going to say. Yep. <laughs> it all ties together, doesn't it, Matt? If you need any more proof, <laughs> it's directly in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Just heard it. Oh, I'm so pissed. I'm so. I don't know. I don't have a good outlet these days. So, this, this is. One of my biggest fears of what could come for the United States is a complete takeover by people who believe and act like the UN and do things like create clips like these. I can say some real radical shit and put a really killer soundtrack behind it. It'll probably sound really motivating, too. Mm-hmm. I bet I could... Uh, actually, this might be a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bet I could, before the next podcast, put together motivational speech that speaks nothing but libertarian ideals but would get the left completely fired up. That'd be fantastic. Wait. What do you think? I don't. I don't think it'd be that hard. <laughs> so I don't mean it in a negative way. I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean in a positive way. Like they're, oh yeah, this is awesome. I agree. Well, that that's kind of the thing. A lot of a lot of people, and I've talked to plenty of progressives about libertarian I- ideals. They're not against it. It's just they don't think it can happen. Um, and so, and that's one of the. One of the big things, Lydia and I talked about this in the last podcast. Andrew Schultz has brought this up in in our conversations on Signal, is this is happening. We're we're looking at most likely a Marxist totalitarian agenda being pushed across the globe. And this is this UN clip, sponsored clip is a great example so there is there there's i think there's always to a certain extent a battle between 
what people feel is their right to be sovereign and free and what uh, power hungry individuals would would like would like to push forth and that's more power for themselves and using propaganda and whatever flavor of the day can allow them to get that power um, so right now it's a it's a pandemic let's look at green energy and diversity and behind that green energy and diversity are marxist progressive ideology and that's basically i mean that's what's at at play right and it's is easy of a distillation of what we're looking at as as i can think of yeah i mean like I, i'm all good for i'm all you know like if you want to do green energy and you know things like that i'm all for it but like just like forcing that among you know upon us like that's what i don't like i don't like to be forced to like do all these initiatives and um because that's just like infringing my rights and um you know like there might be a reason why you know i want to use my uh, gas powered lawnmower because i i've used um electric lawnmowers and guess what they do a shit job mine is in the shop it just went in the shop yesterday. I got an ego. I was so pissed off. I, I, I got the ego, and then I gave it to my mom because it's like I it can't even like my my yard is like about like a quarter of an acre, and you know partially it's my fault. I don't mow the my lawn as often as I should. Um, some people do it weekly. I think that's like the common thing. I do it like four to five once days, every three weeks. Yeah, four to five oh, days. Four to five days. That's what. Yeah, no, that's... I do. I do mine like once every three or four weeks. Yeah, so little... like you can imagine my grass pretty long, you know. Yeah. Like, like, like you... after like ten minutes, my my uh, like the battery's already drained. So like, you know, <laughs> it, it sucks, man. No, it's true. I bought a gas mower, and then it's like plows right through it so yep. it's like you know what i'm gonna stick with gas because you know those things work so i'm all good for like the green stuff um you know I, you know i still i love teslas you know i probably will eventually get one but like i probably wouldn't trust it to like haul a boat or anything so um so yeah i still like options i just don't like that you know things are just being infringed upon what i can and can't do um so yeah, my my yeah, my attitude on that is very. I, I think it parallels what you're saying, but maybe in a bit of a different way. Um, any technology, in my mind, especially in this country, as soon as it's profitable, you'll have shit tons of people trying to make money off of it, right? And if it's not as effective or profitable, people won't. Be attracted to it. Capitalists won't be attracted to whatever methodology, business idea you're talking about. And green energy is not there yet. Eventually, electric, solar, a lot of the Build Back Better initiatives will be just as good. Probably will be in the next 20 or 30 years, but it's not now. It's more beneficial to use other technologies and in my mind, all that's all that's going on with these propaganda type initiatives is, is people are trying to shove money to government contractors, a, appeal to progressive 
good feeling ideology. Let's let's solve climate change, etc. And I think most of these people know that this isn't isn't a game changer. It's not a money, you know, a, a capitalist money making proposition. It's it's a it's corrupt. I have to think that most of these people at the very top really understand that. And that, that to me is just as irritating. It's a libertarian meme this week. At the top, it was a picture of the Communist Manifesto and somebody was asking a question in a thread saying, does somebody have a good opposing viewpoint? Yeah this and some the, the meme was underneath it basic economics um so parroting exactly what you're saying right now is is very apropos yeah i mean to a lot of this stuff that's it that's what this country is built upon um and increasingly if we want to open free global economy that's what should be pushed for and that's not what any of that UN stuff is about. Um, okay, hang on. This is a this is a good segue. Finish your thought, but I want to mm-hmm. segue into something else. Go for it. Done. Yep, let's finish up within about five minutes or so, too. Okay, so this just came out um, this week that uh, China has now put half a million Tibetans into heavy labor camps Mm -hmm. and indoctrination camps. Um, So now it's not just the the Muslims that are being prosecuted, it's also the Tibetans. Excuse me, I apologize. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also the Tibetans, and we say we want a free and open economic model and we continue to have a business relationship that's strong with China. And we've got at least one and a half million people who have been uh, taken and placed into these education camps. And we're still continuing to keep this free and open tariffed, not even free and open, it's tariffed rich, but uh, this trading going on with China. And they, it, it's, it's as close to a modern-day concentration camp as we could have, and we're not doing anything about it. We're just continuing to purchase and consume. It bothers me quite a bit. And I'm surprised how like the UN doesn't like, you know, just going back to the topic of the UN, you just don't ever hear anything from them. You know, denouncing like these things uh, from China and how this is just like a international crisis. Um, you know, with these concentration camps and you know the viruses, the coronavirus. I mean, all these like viruses and um, epidemics situations are stemming from China, and you never hear anything you know bad about that. It's it's mind-boggling. I'm surprised by that. And this is this is something that I'm kind of I'm just curious about. The, and, and 
I did find a clip, and I and maybe you two can explain what this uh, clip could potentially um, uh, explain. But why does China have this contempt for Tibetans? What it's a it's not. There has to be a reason because I, I in my mind, I, I think it's not really that important of an area. It's a mountainous country with not a lot of economic um, importance. The only thing that I can think of is maybe their Belt and Road Initiative that they need to utilize this to push goods. And um, why? just why treat these people so poor, poorly? It, does, it doesn't make sense to me. I think... Part of it's the Dalai Lama, right? But he's a peaceful leader. You really, I, I don't understand even what what, what th- type of threat he is. I think it's just anything that could go against the China, the CCP, Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, anything that could potentially be a threat, they're going to try to neutralize. As soon as possible. You're not just talking about like the um, Kazakh Muslims, right. the uh, um, Tibetans. You're also talking about like the people of Hong Kong as well. Yeah. I mean, they have completely shut that down now. Yeah. And you know, the people of Hong Kong, we're all under like the Han, uh, my, my, the Han group, which is now the the most populous uh, Chinese type of uh, group. You know, um, there's like a lot of minority groups they mm-hmm. associate like. Tibetans, you know, us Chinese people is con- considered the Han group. We're all, a lot of us are this, the, the same under the, the Han. And, right. But because of the ideologies of, you know, being different than the CCP, mm-hmm. they're going to ch- shut it down one way or another. I, mm. I firmly, strongly believe that, it, you know, because they're just different. Um, they could pose a threat to the CCP. Um, they're going to shut it down. It's not about like you know the Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama it's freedom. or the was. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's yeah. They they just want control. Like, Buddhism, you know, is is a is a is a free religion that promotes harmony and peace and thought. It's it's really the antithesis of communism, right? Where it promotes party ideology and and a, a sense of uh, compliance, so it's it's in direct oppos- opposition, and so it's it's more of rather than being because I was thinking of it more of in economic terms, but it's an intellectual threat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so, because sometimes in my mind, I just get so wrapped up around the political and economic, where where this is, it's a it's a Thought vector, basically. Well, we're going to train you into compliance. Right. Yeah. I'm going to play this clip. And then, or go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Dan. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No worries. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's a little bit long, or it's three and a half minutes. Um, and we can cut it out if it makes sense or uh, discuss it for a little bit and wrap up. 
pushing hundreds of thousands of rural Tibetans into forced labor camps, mirroring a program in the western Xinjiang region, according to news agency Reuters' exclusive investigative report. The new evidence suggests that the Chinese government has a large-scale mandatory vocational training program in Tibet. The program has pushed more than 50,000 to 500,000 rural laborers into recently built military-style training centers in the first seven months of this year alone, according to news agency Reuters investigation. Of this total, almost 50,000 have been transferred into jobs within Tibet and several thousand have been sent to other parts of China. The evidence has been compiled by German anthropologist Dr. Adrian Zenz, whose research was instrumental in raising the profile of the security buildup and mass detention of Uyghurs in China's remote Xinjiang province. Now, Adrian calls this, and I quote, the strongest, most clear and targeted attack on traditional Tibetan livelihoods that we have seen almost since the Cultural Revolution of 1966 to 1976. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, though, has strongly denied the involvement of forced labor. In a statement to Reuters, China said, and I quote, what these people with ulterior motives are calling forced labor simply does not exist. We hope the international community will distinguish right from wrong, respect facts, and not be fooled by lies, it said. According to Reuters' report, the labor camps are accompanied by enforced indoctrination intrusive surveillance and harsh punishments for those who fail to meet labor transfer quotas. The labor transfer policy mandates that rural labor are to be subjected to centralized military-style vocational training with the aim to reform so-called backward thinking and include mm -hmm. training in work discipline, law and the Chinese language. The training emphasizes strict discipline and participants are required to perform military drills and dress in uniforms. While there has been some evidence of military-style training and labor transfers in Tibet in the past, this new enlarged program represents the first mass scale and the first openly set quotas for transfers outside the region. Moreover, workers transferred under this program can be difficult to trace, particularly those sent to other parts of China. China had seized control of Tibet after Chinese troops entered the region in 1950 in what Beijing calls a peaceful liberation. <laughs> Tibet has since become one of the most restricted and sensitive areas in China. And now this new evidence will place further pressure on China's human rights record, which has been criticized for its policies in Xinjiang, where more than one million ethnic Uyghurs have been forced into detention camps. Yeah, so it's all about indoctrination and, and the threat, religious threat against the CCP. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean, even if they're like not probably, even if they're not posing any like real threat I mean, but at the same time, just a little bit of threat like that. Um, and they probably, and I don't know, maybe the CPCP doesn't really 
care about the um, lands of Tibet and um, Xinjiang province as well, because they're all like what they're, they're all in the, like up west of China where there's not a whole lot of development lands you can do. So I guess you know maybe they just want to you know use them for for their own benefit for uh, for their own use, and that is put them in these concentration camps and do the work uh, that the CCP wants them to do because um, they don't care about their lives. Also, it's horrible. Yeah. That's a horrible, I mean, these are horrible human rights violations that uh, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Tibetan plateau provides a big strategic military advantage to China. A um, couple of reasons. Uh, because the Himalayas are so remote, there are not any airports within that region. Actually, there's o- I think there's only two international airports located within all of Tibet. Mm-hmm. And they're on the eastern side of Tibet. And airlines do not fly over Tibet. They rather opt to go around uh, to, and I mean like commercial airlines, uh, they opt to go around the Himalayas because of that reason. There's no airports to land at in case there's an emergency. Um, and, And it's so ultra remote. So should someone else take over that piece of property that chunk of land they could build uh say military bases within that area uh, that would allow for flight in and out and rapidly from the west into uh china that is a huge um huge reason why they're so concerned about maintaining control over tibet as well hmm yeah that's just hmm. another example of i i really wish and i don't to me it just doesn't seem like communism is going anywhere um it's not going to be pushed out of china at all and they're they're just these types of situations i i just it's 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 painful to watch, but I, I, I think they're going to continue. I mean, how do you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. If, we put, like... if we put more restrictive trade sanctions against China. Well, we're a nation on arguably the decline, and they're winning geopolitical wars, Belt and Road initiatives. They're pushing through the Middle East. They pretty much operate most of Southeast Asia with the exception of South or excuse me. Yeah. South Korea and Japan. Um, it's, uh, in even w- with the COVID situation, you have the Western world that's become ec- economically crippled and to a certain extent, cultural, culturally crippled, which it, it's just going to make it harder to counteract some of these human rights violations and it's it's very it's just concerning um and a, a part of me hopes that that it'll change but we're not they are on the ascendancy and they are 
I think are going to just continue with this type of behavior. And that is that is why we do what we do, right? Yeah. That's why we have our podcast. That's yep. why we why we do it. Yeah, and I I thoroughly believe that no matter you know, the extent of totalitarian or or, or uh, controlling rule. Uh, freedom and sovereignty always pushes back and it's it's a it's a natural counterforce and it's it's good to think about things like this and and to think about ways that how can you even locally or globally how can you counteract that is that through self-determination or through helping out in whatever way you can Uh, but uh, it's certainly it's certainly helpful uh, for for people to understand this is going on, and I think one of the kind of the counter thoughts on, on that is we have an interconnected globe, and if enough people are aware of what's going on, they'll just push back against this. But I think we're we're a ways from from that happening. But it, it's certainly possible. But she kind of in the same vein. I know we're starting to wrap up um have you guys had any of your uh typically liberal friends contacting you with the question of purchasing firearms from you oh yeah yeah i've I've had liberal friends go through uh conceal and carry training um uh they've purchased guns um and uh through through this uh if you want whatever you want to call this i don't even think it's a pandemic through the situation they they've opened there's certainly people that i know on the progressive side that is open but that's it seems to me that it's like and maybe it's different for you these are people that are a bit more open-minded in general and then there's some people like especially the minneapolis types that the the individuals are just very progressive it's like keep guns away they're the problem that's that's two been my, my experience. Two of my uh, good friends who live in Minneapolis are uh, working on getting guns. Um, that's great. Traditionally, been very uh, progressive. The police are decimated there, so they need them. Yeah, well, I I had a clip on that today. Um, no, it wasn't a clip. It was uh, just that the new militias. That have been running around the uh, Minneapolis right, uh, city of Minneapolis uh, leadership has been praising these uh, militia patrols who've been walking around the communities. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you um, sent that. That's that's insane. It's absolutely insane that that's even something that can happen. Like that happens in Somalia. That doesn't happen in the United States. There's, there has to be law enforced by law enforcement. And granted, the Minneapolis Police Department has had things that they're obviously being really dumb about and having an extremely hard time being productive within the community. I mean, they still have to have some form of policing going on 
that doesn't require having people or militias to walk around and enforce law. That's that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and that th- it's not effective. Yeah, and then mm. uh, on the gun thing, on the gun thing now, uh, R- RBG died. Um, you know, obviously one of the longtime holdouts that fights against gun rights on the uh, Supreme Court. Um, I I uh, found a clip. I heard, I heard the clip on No Agenda, and Eric, you got to play it before the end of the show. It's, okay, <laughs> we 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 always manage to go over. We're like about at twenty minutes over, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's play the RBG and uh, fade out. Hopefully, hopefully soon here. Um, let me find it. Uh, oh, the the uh, the lady flipping out. That's the clip? Yes. Okay, yep. here we go. Holy fucking shit, you guys! I'm driving in a car, but I just got a notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died! Fuck! Could this year get any fucking worse? Ruth, you just had to make it to 2021! One of the interesting things that... <laughs> Um, I think it was Adam Curry mentioned on a few podcasts ago, or it was John, I don't remember which, is that it was John. She's not a distinguished justice. She was really famous for just dissenting votes. Like She really didn't um, have many groundbreaking decisions associated with her tenure. She was notorious... uh, RBG um, kind of uh, I idolized by the progressive left, but she wasn't. From what I've, from what he he said, she she just wasn't really anything of of merit. And they they lose a you know a, a gun free um, champion of pro choice, uh, but when it you know, came right down to it. Her career was more of a, uh, I think it was more ideological and political rather than really anything of of substance. Um, but that's going to be, and we, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a few weeks. We're going to have another podcast in a couple of weeks at at, at Kirk's place. Um, are you? Are you guys planning on being there? It's going to be on, on October the 16th, I believe, which is Friday. We'll see. Jordan okay. is quite a drive away, but you I'll can try call to in. Call can, in. So yeah. If, yeah. 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 That's always a, a possibility. Um, do, you, do you have, uh, I, I don't want to wrap it up without thoughts on RBG from, from both of you guys. What do you guys think about the whole situation? I think we need to appoint a justice right now. Yep. And it'll happen probably by the end of next week, right? Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Well, they're going to, I think they're going through a role for two 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're just voting to whether or not they're going to proceed to vote for uh, justice, kind of similar with the uh, Merrick Garland situation back in um, when Obama was president, right? So, yeah. But they're going. They seem to have the votes to kind of move forward because you know it. It kind of stays consistent to what they did last time, mm-hmm. um, because you know last time it was controlled by the Senate Republicans. So of course you have the majority that they're going to go against um, Obama. But now the Senate majority is you know Republicans and it's under Trump, so they're going to vote for it this time. So I I, I don't know how long it. You know I don't know if they can. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, if they can, it seems like it's possible that they'll they'll fill this um, seat um, probably before the elections. I don't know. Can they even fill it like after election? Regardless, if like, let's say the the Republicans lose control, like, and then Trump is no longer president, can they still um, fill the seat? I think so. Like, I mean, they have a the Senate seat has to be filled. They have a Senate majority um, until what? end of january and trump's still president right. why couldn't they mm-hmm. yeah. i mean it's just it's really in my mind it's the progressives not wanting a conservative justice in place so they're saying whatever the, whatever they can to make to swing public sentiment their way but uh i i think the harsh reality for them is that Trump and the Republicans can put in a person if they want to, and they're going to. That's what that's the way it looks yeah. like to me, at least. I'm I'm kind of on the fence on this one. We've yeah. gone like like what like nine months without um, when Merrick Garland was nominated. We've been mm-hmm. nine months without like the ninth judge. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, like, can they go? Like, we, we've been okay, you know that happened before. Now it's going to be even lesser time. So I don't know. I, I, you know, I think we can. We'll still be fine with eight justices right yep. now. So, but that's just kind of my my opinion. Right. What are you thinking about it, Matt? I think uh, we need uh, from a perspective of liberty. We need as many conservative judges there is possible yep and so i want them to ramrod through as hard as they can mm-hmm. whoever will fulfill that and i want them to be as young as possible yep be able to do that job and a woman and my prediction and is yep. it will be amy coney barrett 47 years old yeah yep People are freaking out over her right now. That that would be my odds-on favorite. You know, she'll be there for like forty years. So, mm-hmm. I would That's agree with you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I would agree with you, uh, Matt Matthew. But um, at the same time, you know, I don't want to break pro. You know, the process of you know taking advantage of the pro. I I, I don't like the process of doing this. So that's just. That's just sure. my opinion. So, but I, I agree with like you know, you know, pointing the judge should you know I tend to you know agree with like you know the more conservative justices, but you know the process of doing this this quickly is something that I'm not too fond of either. So yeah. I don't know, kind of mixed bag for me. But yep. yes, yep. Um, 
the the one other thing I wanted to say about this is mm-hmm. I don't think that Einstein in put up with the fight that's going to happen here. I don't think she'll be able to handle it. So I think the Republicans are going to cakewalk pretty hard on her. Mm-hmm. She's, she's 87 years old now, and there's going to be a lot of fighting there. So it'll be interesting to see what the Democrats do to try to bolster her because it's absolutely, uh, uh, it's absolutely not something that she can handle. So. No, no. And um, yeah, I, I I I think it's going to be she is she, can she push the needle in any direction? I, I I don't think that she can. Can she? No. Yeah. And she can't keep up with what's going to be. There's going to be so many shots fired throughout this process that I I, I mean. <laughs> It might kill her. I, I don't know. It's it's like it's gonna be very very stressful, and it's gonna be very. It's not gonna be an easy time. It's it it wouldn't be an easy time for somebody who is in their forties, much as somebody who's pushing ninety. Yeah. So it'll be. Yeah, that was just one other comment I wanted to make. Yeah, that's. Yeah, Surprising that she's the head of that committee, but I want to hear some smooth jazz. We got the smooth jazz, and we'll roll on out. So, thanks for listening to Liberty Southwest Podcast sixty-five. This is Eric Taylor. I was hoping Matt Winter. Matt, Matt Winter. <laughs> Is it Matt Winter? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, myself, Danny. Danny Ng. Danny, Danny Ng. All right, everyone, it's been a good one, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Yes, definitely. Talk soon. Love you all. Adios.